0: Well, this evening, um, we are beginning Chapter 3 of our study through uh, the Confession. And uh, as we look uh, to Chapter 3, it's entitled, Of God's Decree. If you want to look, uh, Lord willing, on the screen behind me at paragraph 1. God hath decreed in himself, from all eternity, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so is thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein. Nor is there violence offered to the will of the creature. Nor yet is the liberty of or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. It's not by accident that we begin with laying down a foundation of theology with what is God's word, for it is our source of truth. Chapter 2 focused on who is God. In light of who God is, now that we can come with the truth of Scripture in light of who God is to flesh it out into every area of life. And here we see God's decree Now, we just finished last week looking at the Trinity, and you might think, okay, it's all easier from here on out. And yet, I I would challenge us, uh, here's another doctrine that is challenging to get our minds around, uh, because it's something that often um, takes careful thought, and sometimes I, I think it's easy just to say, well, I don't get it, I give up, or "Well, I'll just take it by faith. Um, I used to jokingly call myself a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. Um, but uh, we recognize that God has called us to be uh, approved workmen or not, need not be ashamed, uh, also rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's for each of us, not for just who God has called to be leaders in the church. And this is a doctrine, I think it's important. And and I would even say that there's probably uh, much error in this in our own lives that we don't really realize. Kind of a few verses maybe to encourage you to uh, maybe put to memory. Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it if we uh, ask the the question the title of god's decree what is a decree Uh, we probably don't use that a whole lot in our vocabulary from day to day i I looked it up in the dictionary Uh, a decree is an official order or a command to do something you typically put in the context of the king's decree or uh, a decree from a higher authority down. But as we're looking at this chapter, we're looking at of God's decree. Let's look at, first of all, when did God decree? We we see, first of all, that God made his decrees or decree. I mean, you could put it all into one um, overarching theme. From all eternity, excuse me, from eternity past. We read it just a moment ago in Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning, or decreeing the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. He, He stated that from ancient times he has said, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. But, okay, how ancient? Is that just maybe ancient history here upon earth? But notice what Titus 1, 2 says. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Before the time in which, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is Titus 1, 2 takes place before that. 2 Timothy 1, 9 speaking of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We're going to see this uh, come back up uh, in weeks to come, but also Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God's decree did not take place after or as time has gone by, God is not going, well, let me figure out where we're going to go. He stated from eternity past what would take place. He did it in eternity and it will be happening. It will be, his decree that was determined back then will continue to happen, not be determined, but it will continue to take place what he determined in all eternity past for all eternity. Hebrews 6.17 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That his counsel doesn't change. That his decrees don't change. Psalm 148.6 says, He established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Psalm thirty three ten to eleven. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. When we look at his plans, his plans reveal uh, his character. He is eternal. Therefore, his um, his decree is eternal. His, as we saw, uh, his nature is immutable, unchangeable. Therefore, his decrees are unchangeable. There's obvious connection between God's unchangingness, or his unchanging essence, and God's unchanging decree. So he decreed what would take place in eternity past. It would happen forever. But how did he decree? Notice the paragraph one in the confession. God hath decreed in himself what's interesting is i have a i have a pdf document that shows the westminster confession kind of broken up by paragraphs and it shows the second london baptist and it compares them and in many ways they're very very similar but it's interesting to look and to see the differences Uh, the westminster uh, was about um 30 years before written before and uh, I think uh, the, the men who gathered said, hey, this is a great foundation. But I think there were some places that they felt some clarity needed to be brought. And this statement in himself was added. That this was not something that God was made to do. There, There's a somewhat of an inference that God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the wise and most holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeable all things. But I think just that emphasis that he himself made this choice. Think about it this. If he made his decree in eternity past, who was there? What was there? Nothing. So the time at which he made his decree, there was nothing to have influenced him. It was he himself and the perfect triune Godhead we've seen. No one made God decree what he decreed. But as he decreed it, we see that his decree is wise and it's holy. Again, his character, he is wise, he is holy. Therefore, all that he does is wise and holy. And he does it, again, in himself, but also by his own will, freely, unchangeably. We'll see next week um, more on that topic. Ephesians one eleven shows us this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. His own will. Romans eleven thirty four. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Uh, there it's a rhetorical question we know the answer no one has given god wisdom he is perfectly wise no one counseled him to god didn't say hey adam help me know what i should be doing here for he is all wise as psalm 115 verse 3 says but our god is in heaven he does whatever he pleases the Baptist Catechism, question number ten, asks, "What are the decrees of God?" The answer is this: The decrees of God are His eternal purposes. Acor- excuse me, are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby, for His own glory, He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So, what did God decree? We saw it there in Ephesians 1.11. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He has decreed all things. R.C. Sproul put it well. He said, If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. About... Seven, eight years ago, God challenged me with that. God is either sovereign or he is not. There is no kind of sovereign or mostly sovereign. He is completely sovereign over everything or he's sovereign over nothing. For how can we know what he's sovereign over and what he's not? If he's not sovereign in this area, how can I trust him over here? And realize the difficulty that one has to come to To realize that we must trust in an infinite wise God. But he decrees all things and lest we kind of think we have that figured out. That it's just kind of some things. uh, The the framers of this says whatsoever comes to pass. You know I I get the question often. How do we know God's will? And I'll give you a 100% guarantee on how to know God's will. If something has happened, it was God's will. That's the only way we can know for certain that something is God's will. We can stand and we can test and we can take things to God's word. And in wisdom, we can take a step But by faith and say, Lord, I believe this is your will. But everything that has happened, good and bad in our sight, is the will of God. Nothing whatsoever that has come to pass, is outside of his sovereignty. Sam Waldron, in his exposition on the Second London Baptist, he, he listed these things, and I'll just list them quickly. What are the, all the things, what are the whatsoever? Good and evil things, sinful acts, free acts of men, chance occurrences, details of our lives, affairs of the nations, and the final destruction of the wicked. God has decreed all things. The confession then states in the middle, yet so is thereby God is neither the author of sin, nor is there violence offered to the will of the creature. There's two statements here. The first one I'll mention is the second one in the, in the confession. God in his decreeing, though he is infinitely sovereign it does not negate man's free will and some may say well how does that work how can man be totally free and God be totally sovereign we'll see that in just a moment but notice there can be ditches on both sides of this that we can say if God's totally sovereign then it's fatalistic we just sit back and whatever happens happens Or we can swing the pendulum to the other side of things and downplay God's sovereignty and then it's all up to me. But the key here is that God never forces or does any violence to a person's will so that he or she chooses something contrary to that which he or she desires. Let me say that one more time. God never forces us to do something we don't desire. That we live out of our desires 100%. That God never takes our desires and and forces us against our desire. And I'm using those words carefully because you might kind of know where I'm going with that. A sinner lives in his sin and that is his desire. So then how does God save us? He changes our desires. So that freely, based upon our new desires that he's put in us, we choose freely him. That is how God is absolutely sovereign. And that's why we also say that he, that regeneration precedes faith. The changing of a heart allows us to be able to not negate this truth. That's why I say this is a challenging one because the ramifications are in many ways. But the area that we most often get caught up on is if man is free and God is sovereign, then how does sin happen? Many books have been written about this, and I don't attempt in just a few moments to fully cover it. We will see this again in, in chapter 5, but James 1 Verse 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Notice the confession says, God is neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein. So how can God be absolutely sovereign? Let me ask a question. Does God decree sin? Think about what we've stated. And this is something we can catch ourselves in. God has decreed all things. That nothing is outside of his decree. And here's where we have to kind of wrestle with this. If God has decreed sin, does that mean God is the author of sin? Does he make us sin? And this is why there's a very careful word choice here in the Confession. The author of sin. What does this mean? We see James 1.13. Nor does he, tempt, he himself tempt anyone. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then what does it say? Lead us not into what? Have you ever thought about that? The Lord's Prayer is asking God the Father not to lead us into temptation. So that means if we're praying that, and Jesus himself out of the words of God incarnate is saying to the Father, teaching his disciples, do not lead us into temptation, that's a prayer asking God the Father not to do that because that is a work of his. So how do we reconcile that with James one thirteen? Notice the words in James one thirteen. Can you put that back up? There we go. No one, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away. How? By his own desires and enticed. Notice, God is not the author of sin. But in his infinite wisdom, he leads us down a path of temptation. But what is it that causes us to sin? God? Our own desires. It's not God. It is our desires. And this is where we... Let me... put out a couple theological words, and these are important, and I know we're throwing a lot here. Primary cause and secondary cause. Primary, first. What is that first cause? God is the first cause of all things. He is the one who leads us into temptation, but does he make us sin? No, that's the secondary cause. Our sinful desires are what cause us to sin. That is how God is not the author of sin, but he is the one who has decreed sin. How do we how do we see this fleshed out? You could say uh, if you want to simplify it, primary cause God's decrees, secondary cause or the means. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by who? God? By Satan. Notice. Primary cause. God leads. God the Father leads Christ. Actually the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. To be tempted by the devil. The Father through the Holy Spirit does the the leading into temptation. This is how we see Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20. After his brothers and his father have come down. Joseph says, but as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people's lives. What was God working together for good? The good of many. How did he do it? By using the sinful desires of human people. Did he violate their will and make them sin to capture them and to build the slaves and to do all those things? Uh, Excuse me, um, I got ahead of myself. Did he make Joseph's brothers? No, it was their own envy. It was their own hatred of their brother. It was their own sin nature being fleshed out. God does not just allow sin, he does decree it. But decreeing does not make him the author of it. For he allows our desires to be fleshed out. That is how, in Exodus chapter 7, God speaking to Moses. He says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my enemies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. That's how God accomplishes purposes through evil people, and there's still consequences. Habakkuk is an amazing uh, book. Uh, God says, I'm going to do something in your day that you would not even believe, even if you were told. That's not the name it and claim it blessings. That's actually him telling Habakkuk, I'm actually going to bring judgment upon the nation Israel by the wickedness of the nations outside, and then I'm going to judge the nations for doing that. Did God make the nations? No. He led them into that temptation, but it was their own free will to do it. Jesus himself and his crucifixion. Peter on the day of Pentecost. I remember reading this, studying, uh, preaching through Acts, and it just struck me, this truth. Him, speaking of Christ, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That's the decree of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Do you see those two things that are happening at the same time? The decree of God, the the primary cause, but the secondary cause is the sinful hearts of man accomplishing that will. Again, this is a challenging doctrine sometimes to get our minds around. But if we say that God is not the decreeer of sin it means he's not decreed certain things he's decreed all things and yes we even have to carefully define what does author of sin mean but we don't have to be afraid of these truths Yes, we need to walk carefully to understand that God is sovereign, that he decrees all things, that he uses the sin of mankind, but he's not violating their will. They're doing what they desire. So as to accomplish his will. Notice God is infinitely wise. He knows even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. As this paragraph closes, it finishes with this statement, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness to accomplish his decree. There's some weighty things for us to grasp in this paragraph, but I hope we see the hope and the expectation here. When God says in Isaiah 46, 9, I have purposed it and I will do it. It actually verse 11, sorry. We can trust him. That we're not left wondering when God says, you know what? I work all things together for good for those who love him according to his purpose. God does that. That he fulfills his promises. We can take him at his word like the old hymn says. What a great hope What a great comfort it is when we're left wondering, God, this has just happened in my life. Do you know about it? And the answer is, absolutely. He's decreed it. Do I always know why? No. It's for his glory all things are. Do we know all the intricate details? No. Will we ever? We're not guaranteed. But we do know this. God didn't say, oops. Oops. And what an amazing promise and a great comfort that is when we know that all things have been decreed by God. All things have been decreed and that we can trust his infinite wisdom. As it said there, his all-wise and holy decrees. We may not see how it's all-wise, especially in painful things, but we can trust him based upon who he is. Let's pray. Father, we have uh, mined a lot of the the deep things of you. And Lord, as we look at these things, and as we continue to come back and look at them, Lord, we ask for help. Lord, our our finite minds are limited in looking at you, the infinite God. Lord, we ask that you would reveal the truth that you would drive it deep in our hearts, the truth of your word. Lord, help us to see you as you really are. And thank you tonight for that reminder of comfort, of hope, that nothing in this world happens without your decree. And Lord, we confess often we don't know what you are doing, but Lord, we trust you. Give us faith. Even at times, Lord, may we be like the man to Jesus. Lord, help my unbelief. But that we would trust your perfect holy will in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.